everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 51. What's the deal with England? And Royal Ascot Day 5 Preview. Demoralized England supporters, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I am Gloomy, and known as Frank, joined by Sam and Eddie, who are even more gloomy and depressed than I am. Sam, you, I want to kick it right off to you. <laughs> give me, give me your feeling out of a one of ten right now. Oh my god, it was fucking diabolical. It was absolutely pathetic. Um, I. I would love to sugarcoat this scenario, but Christ almighty, there was nothing good about what I saw from England tonight. Eddie, anything worse than that? Or No, I mean, honestly, there are no positives from that performance. Uh, they were unadventurous. Okay, John Stones should have scored from that corner. You, you sometimes get the pass because you hit the post. Like this, which is sometimes what annoys me is that you hit the post and then people go, oh, unlucky. And in reality, he should have just, he should have buried it. But aside from the John Stones header, there were no clear goal scoring opportunities. And to play against that, look, I'll throw it out a little bit because you do know, as we've touched on before, actually in the buildup, an England-Scotland match, you can kind of throw form out of the window. But still, if you're England... If, if I'm going to throw any positive on that, it is maybe that is the wake-up call they need to win the Euros. Yes. I said pre-podcast that my hope from the only positive I have personally is that that is the low watermark for this whole entire campaign is that they now realize that there's more to it or more kind of forward motion needed. It was pathetic but i hope that that becomes the bottom marker of this campaign i mean yeah you look england are probably not going to win the euros that's the reality how oh. that being said we, <laughs> oh no come on, come oh, on. I, 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 lo- I, I have to say being coerced into being a england supporter and having to suffer through that was brutal but Hearing how quickly you can flip flop into a week You're... ago saying this is the first uh... time in all seriousness I've ever been truly enthusiastic that we could win the Euro to we're not no, winning no, no, the Euro. No. I, I want to qualify. I want to I want to qualify what you're saying. So I still think that this England team has everything they need to win the Euros. However, we said all along that if England are going to win the Euros, Gareth Southgate has to get out of his own way. And to me, in this match, Gareth Southgate did not get out of his own way, which is England did none of the things that are going to make England better. Like, okay, in the first, a little bit similar to the Croatia game, they played with a high tempo in the first 15 or 20 minutes, and then they just stopped. Great first 15 minutes, again. Like, how is this the MO? why Why can't they sustain it? And Well, no, they can. That's the thing is they can. <laughs> Everything and, and is fine. And, and it's a team they don't. And suddenly now it's just like, okay, I'm watching 
I'm watching Reese James play sideways passes to, you know, like to John Stones. I don't need to see that. I don't need to watch it. If you're going to beat, and Scotland might have tested them actually in some respects more than other teams will in the sense that Scotland are also built to play high-tempo football on the basis of the SPL and the players they have to play in the Premier League. So in many respects, Scotland are their most difficult opposition in in the Euros from that perspective. But just get out of your own way. Even the substitutions he made, I mean... He took off Foden and brought on Grealish, which is like, well, what are you doing? You're taking off a player who's playing out wide to take off to bring on another player who's playing centrally, but you need to get the ball out wide. You need to push the pace. Like I could have understand like Sterling needed to go off. Okay, Sterling yes. scored in the opening match, but Sterling needed to go off. Sancho needed to come on. Uh, you know, like there's a. What host... do you think about Kane going off? I, I respect the Kane going off. That is encouraging. Because I think the criticism in the last World Cup would have probably been they were over-reliant on Kane. And there were moments in which Kane needed to be substituted. And Southgate didn't. So maybe that's the But positive. aren't you over-reliant on Kane for a reason? Because he's your best chance to score? <laughs> he's the best. But today he did nothing. They weren't creating chances. And he also isn't... Yeah. The type I, of player who He had that one good play that... No, no, no. I did more as a supporter. Like, I was more animated. And, I mean, yeah. that might be that might be a little harsh, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but he didn't do a lot. It is it yeah. is it is fair, and and like to me, it's just Southgate. Just accept this. The only way, the depressing fact for me from this watching this is just where are the goals coming from? And when you watch today. Okay, you got a John Stones chance from a corner. And a, aside from that, you have a bunch of half chances that could have been taken, particularly early on. But aside from that, not a lot. And you're just not going to beat good teams with that. So, so Eddie, I want to go back to what you said now that they have no chance and what Sam said, that maybe this is like the kick in the ass they need. Do you think that is the case? Or... Do you think this is just England playing down to their opponent and then they're going to continue to do that throughout the tournament and throughout year after year? For what, at least for my being a supporter, feels like it's been just every time they just continue to play down to opponents. So there's definitely an element of that. Like there needs to be, and which is tough because when you don't have a history of success, which England do not have, to have that swagger in an international tournament is challenging. Like... When you look at France, like France have a degree of swagger at the moment, which even when they played against Germany was maybe undeserved. Like there were there were periods and periods in that match where Germany were the better side, but France still had this element within them of like, well, we're the better team, right? And you can only do that because while well, you've won a World Cup or you've made a World Cup final or you've won a European Championships, and. <sighs> I think this England team needs to realize why they're good. And my fear with Southgate is that he will not instill in them the confidence of why you're good, which is you're fitter, faster, and more intense than basically every team in this tournament. And, and just... you have a massive amount more depth of the same thing as well, right? You've got the five subs and you've got more of the same in those attributes that you're on about. 
yeah, the sideways passing was truly upsetting. But I mean, ultimately, here's the scenario, right? You've got two teams on four points and two teams on one point in this group now. So England beat the Czechs. They're still topping the group. Yeah. Does, no, it, no. does it, Does it? like, you know, let's say England beat the Czechs, you know, 1-2-0, no, whatever it is. England seem to have a habit of 1-0 at the moment. But yeah. does it does it really matter what happens in the groups? Because then you get to that one-off game, and if England it, do, it, do it, it doesn't it doesn't matter in terms of results. So no, I didn't watch today and think I. The reason I lost confidence in England today wasn't because they drew nil nil with Scotland. It was because they created one very good chance to score against Scotland in ninety minutes. That's the reason I lost confidence. Like you can watch matches where teams have multiple chances. Like, for example, take the Spain opening match against Sweden. Spain had a number of chances to score and drew nil-nil with Sweden. I have, that hasn't decreased. Like, I have the same impression of Spain that I had coming into the tournament. Whereas with this England team, and you watch them play, and you watch them play against Scotland, a team that the Czech Republic created multiple chances to score throw out the 45 yard goal that you know is potentially the goal of the tournament the czech republic had five or six good chances to score against scotland and took one of them england had one maybe two both of which were in the opening 20 minutes of the match after the opening 20 minutes i mean what were they doing scotland were the better team Better team, I think, is a stretch. I think they're better relative to the expectations, but I definitely don't think England, if you take the principle of an alien being dropped on planet Earth and watching that football match, and they have no idea who's who, and then they get to decide which of these two teams was supposed to be better, I think they would have walked away from that saying, (laughs) I think those are two evenly matched teams. What a weird... So the, the alien has like a rationale of... They have a concept of football. They have a concept of the sport. But that to me is an interesting way of judging it, right? Because what I'm basically saying is you walked away from that. If you didn't know who was who, you walked away from that feeling like that was two evenly matched teams. But in reality, Scotland are one of the rank outsiders to win the Euros. Whereas England, third, they're the third rank outsider, right? There's two below them in the. They're the third lowest ranked team in the Euros. England, in terms of the betting going into today, were the second favorites to win the Euros. This was the highest probability win so far in the tournament as well. Yeah, and look, we we also discussed this, you and I, Sam, off podcast. Sooner or later, you're going to get upsets, and. For the most part, aside from the Denmark Finland game, which was also which was off, like a bit of a, a weird one, obviously. Aside from that, everything had kind of gone to form, and this is the first match in the Euros that hasn't. So I don't want to be look. I don't want to be overly dramatic about England drawing a group game, because plenty of teams come out of the groups with seven points and win a European Championships or a World Cup. So I don't want to be, you know, too... I hope this is the wake-up call this England team needs, which is I hope Gareth Southgate and his coaching staff walks away and goes, look, if we're going to beat good teams, you need to walk away from a match feeling like you created five, six, seven chances 
because you might only take one or two. And in this, it was if England were going to win this match, they basically needed to take every chance they created. And that is just yeah. depressing against against fucking Scotland. I mean, honestly. Yeah. It's it's painful. and uh, But also, in a way, it shows the valuable win in the first game, right? Because the draw suddenly isn't... You're on four. You're going through. No, but it also right? papers... Look, we had the discussion. You came out of it saying it was a convincing win for England. I didn't feel that way. I felt like England played well for the opening 15, 20 minutes, and then they created a couple chances, and they were okay. And you can yes you can spin the positive on it which is hey th- well we won the opening match so that's great you could do the other which is did the opening victory if england had drawn against croatia which isn't out of the question based on how that match went and then drawn against scotland Oof, they would be points. in serious risk of going out of this group of, yes right of not right making now. it of not even win. making of not even making it through as a third as a third best qualifier so I, I, it was Ali McCoy that said it right. It's a minimum of a win. So to go into a game with two, to, to then rely on a third point is stupid. So fundamentally it's a win. Yeah, no, 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 you're, you're right. It's, it's, you know, England for the first time winning a opening match in 40 years or whatever it is. It, I think it's given us some weird buffer with the Scottish game, but God, Damn, do we need to improve? It was and and look, you put in another context. Croatia didn't look great against the Czech Republic, so we didn't watch. We didn't watch Croatia dismantle the Czech Republic and then think, "Wow, you look." Croatia were outplayed by the Czech Republic, who outplayed Scotland, who then England basically played a very fair draw against. So where does that? We're the worst team in the group. (laughs) Uh, Not the best. Not the best. Why not advance? No, they will. I'll put this way. Look, I'm Four very... Is enough. Four is enough. Uh, I think they have enough points already. Is it? What if the Czech Republic wins? No, I, I'll say this. I will say this now. I'll stake my, my reputation in the podcast. England will beat the Czech Republic. Because now they'll go into that match. If you're the Czech Republic, this could not have gone worse for you. Man, this is this is so such a good insight into like English supporters. No, no. but it is true. No, no, no. <laughs> but there there is a there is a semblance of like it. This is as far as international games go. This is as close a derby as you're going to get. Derbies create unpredictability. It, it, but it, but it is true. Uh, like England, Scotland. It's the Euros, though. You do kind of have to throw. Look. Scotland, the style in which they play is very different. They can play England in the way Premier League players or English-based players play football. And they did that today, which was high tempo. Like in many ways, for large parts of the match, I actually think it was one of the more entertaining matches of the Euros in the sense that it was a bit end-to-end, quite high-paced, a little bit frantic. So in some respects, but... Look, I think you can throw it out the way this went. I'm going to be pessimistic about England and then I'm depressed in which in the fact that they didn't create more chances, but I'll be optimistic in the sense they won't face a similar chance uh, similar a similar challenge in the future. That being said, I am now I'm now supremely confident, not on the basis of this performance, basis of this performance, I am supremely confident England will beat the Czech Republic. 
because that's just the way England work. Now, I'll be less confident now of England playing Germany or Portugal in the second round. I have not a ton of confidence in their ability to create real goal-scoring chances against good teams. That is, they need to sweep aside the Czech Republic for me to think that they can create real chances against good teams. But I am sure this England team will beat the Czech Republic now and will top that group. Now, Eddie, I have, I have a side note for you that Sam and I were discussing off podcast before you joined. What's the deal with Scottish people taking their shirts off in celebrations? Uh, I mean, English people do it too, right? It's just one of those weird things. It's just, I, I mean, who knows? What is it about, what is about a good nil-nil draw that makes you just want to rip your shirt off and wave it in a helicopter? Oh, look, let's, let's be real about Scotland. <laughs> and I mean this very genuinely. I, if England win the Euros this summer, let's say England now win every remaining match. So we'll have beaten every team aside from Scotland. There will be a, a lot of Scottish people who will be like, well, we drew against England at Wembley, so we're either the second best team in Europe or we're definitely better than England. And I, That would be like the people, Swiss logic against Spain in the World Cup, where it's like, well, we beat the Spanish, then they went to win the World Cup, therefore. No, no, but I mean this, I mean this if you don't, th- I am not joking. There will be plenty of Scottish people out there who will claim that this I know there are plenty of Scottish people out there who will now think that England and Scotland are equals on in football. They will not care. In the same way, and look, that's pay, that's ridiculous. In the same way that any Finnish person who thinks no, but in the same way no, that it any is Finnish, ridiculous. It is in the same ridiculous. way that any Finnish person who thinks that they are better than Denmark, it's ridiculous. You can win a match or you can draw a single match. Everyone knows if England and Scotland played each other ten times, England would win. Seven of them. They just happen to have underperformed. And again, I think, look, Southgate needs to go. That's the reality. There are so many better managers. Who's the replacement? I I mean, I have dream scenario replacements. Me? Steve Steve Keane. Could it be me? Could I? Honestly, (laughs) if I, I mean this, I'm not saying, I'm not saying this as a, if it was me or or Gareth Southgate, who has a better chance of winning the Euros? I think it's me. I genuinely mean that. No. I genuinely you mean can't it. possibly think No, that. I genuinely mean it. What Southgate's what Southgate has to offer? I mean the, the no, he's I, shit I, middle. The oh wow. What did, what did he do? He was a shit Middlesbrough manager and like managed to be okay as an under twenty <laughs> England under twenty years manager. I'm going to come in and just go, let's fucking be faster, quicker. Let's do all the things that we do well. Let's just get the pace up there. Fuck all this system. What systems. are you, a Daft Punk oh. song? Oh, no, that's it. Oh. But that's it. That's all that Eddie will say. Oh, and no. My... Let them do it. <laughs> like... No, my team talk would basically be a Daft Punk, so- Daft Punk song, and I think it would fucking win. <laughs> oh, this bullshit. Could you, say it, no, could you say it at the tone as well? <laughs> Working. Harder, Make better, it. faster, stronger. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie, Eddie's, Eddie's CV is going to say, coached high school girls and, and also got them drunk on the weeknights. No, nah, do you know Do you know one of the things when I coached the high school girls team, do you know one of the things I at least told them to do? I, a, I told them, I taught them to be defensively solid. 
we we used a very intense Nike formation, which was ahead of its times in terms of using a non-flatback four. But going forward, we were adventurous. I at least told them is that the let's, word. Let's score goals. Adventurous everywhere on the pitch, in the bedroom, everywhere. <laughs> but... At the bar. <laughs> I love it. That was the adventurous. Let's score goals. <laughs> Like, that was a a simple edict from up high. And this is what Southgate cannot provide. Southgate can't say words like that. He's somehow immune. He can't wrap his head around adventurous. Do you know what? I've watched... You know what? I want you to go exploring somehow in a forward motion, but I just can't... I can't crack it. I can't crack what I'm... Honestly, look, you can laugh all you want. But I've watched enough Gareth Southgate teams now to know adventurous is not a word he throws into his team talks or his team tactics. So when you watch when you watch Kane drop 20 yards deep to pick up a ball, why am I watching that? If I'm gonna on a show. But just you can laugh all you want about me trying to encourage this England team to be adventurous. But genuinely, why has Sancho not made an appearance in this Euro so far? That's fair. See, that's fine. Why I today did not why today? Why today when you're struggling to create chances, did Jude Bellingham not come on? Why is Calvin Phillips and you know why 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 are they these defensive, fundamentally defensive central midfielders staying there for the entire match? Why his why is his substitution to take off Harry Kane, which I'm okay with, but bring on Rashford? Why is his substitution to take off Foden to bring on then another fundamentally central attacking midfielder? I'm fine with the concept of bringing on Grealish. I'm fine with the concept of bringing on Rashford, but you cannot tell me that anything about the instructions that he is giving to this England team, if you think for one second when he is walking on, and you can laugh all you want about the significance of words you tell teams when they walk onto a pitch, but if you think for one second he is telling them, go out there and be adventurous, go out there and be, don't worry about conceding goals, go out there and be attacking, there is no chance that he is mentioning any of those words or phrases to them. He is telling them, be tight, keep it, keep it tight. Don't let them score. Don't let them do this. Those, it's a very negative set of instructions that he's giving that to that England team. And look, they've kept two clean sheets two, through two matches. Good for them. And if Eddie, look, maybe, you, maybe he's not using the word adventurous, but what about daring or venturesome or bold? fearless <laughs> all right we do we, what are we doing the sats right now look <laughs> he's he is, is he not, using any of those eddie he, no, well if he is then maybe he should use simpler words at this england team because they're all probably fucking idiots because they're footballers <laughs> maybe he should use now, using now words going using now words like ug, ug and dur and <laughs> kick ball towards goal maybe he should use simple instructions they can understand but look i mean just like and even when Jack Grealish came on, at least Grealish, Grealish has attacking intent about him. Grealish gets the ball and turns toward towards goal. Calvin Phillips gets the ball, and okay, he had the man he had a man of the match performance against Croatia, and is a good player. I'm not trying to shit on Calvin Phillips, but Calvin Phillips is the water carrier that you need. I don't know. 
No, but Calvin Phillips is a water carrier you need next to a better attacking player. I I, I think I've mentioned this I, comparison on the podcast before, but Robbie Savage, when he played at Blackburn, always used to say, if you're going to win a match, you need a maestro. So you need someone who's going to play the piano and you need someone else who's going to carry the piano and put it in place. England have too, have too many players who are carrying the fucking piano. Someone needs to fucking play the piano. Eddie, there's no way this England team is going to understand that fucking metaphor. Well, <laughs> they you know can't understand I... the word adventurous. They're not understanding that metaphor. <laughs> if, if fucking Robbie Savage can understand it, then they can. So when Robbie Savage, to go back to the Blackburn analogy, when Robbie Savage and Two Guy were playing next to each other, Robbie Savage understood my duty is to win the ball, get the ball, pass the ball to Two Guy, and Two Guy can do the rest of the business. And I think in the, in this England team, if you're Calvin Phillips and you win the ball, get the ball, who are you passing the ball to? Mm-hmm. Who is doing the next bit of the business? It's Mason Mount, who it might be nowhere near to you. Who else is doing it? Because next to you, you've got who? Another defensive, you've got Declan Rice, another defensive-minded midfielder next to you. Put a fucking attacking midfielder in central midfield and just go out there to win a fucking match. I mean, I'm surprised at how neutral you've been about this performance tonight, Eddie. It's it's been surprising. <laughs> it's, no, no, but no. look, when I picked my Euros you're, team, not when I picked my laughing, when no, I no, picked no, my, you're absolutely right though about Calvin Phillips because he went from this kind of like hundred percent hero tonight. I think he he went kind of to zero, and has no. suddenly just normalized his opinion in his England team. Look, there's Maybe a reason why Calvin Phillips doesn't play for Manchester City. Let's be real. And, and like, this is the thing is, there's a reason why Jack Grealish, okay, Jack Grealish has, has decided to stay at Aston Villa, so he might be the exception to the rule. And I say this as someone who supports a smaller side. But fundamentally, if you're not playing for a really big team, there's a reason for it. There is a reason why big teams have not decided, let's break the bank and bring you in. All this, uh, oh, uh, he's the Perlo of the Premier League. He's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. If he was the fucking Perlo of the Premier League, he'd be playing for Real Madrid. Like, there's, no, no, but there's no, you know, I don't think that If he's the Perlo of the Premier League, how would he be playing for Real Madrid? No, but you see what, but I don't think I don't think sports, I don't think sports, I don't think football are meritocracies, but they're not far off. Once you get to the Premier League, you will find your level. And if after two, three seasons, no one has decided to break the bank to bring you in, there is a reason for it. If Pep Guardiola, if, you know, uh, Jurgen Klopp, if someone at Real Madrid or someone at Barcelona or someone at Bayern Munich even look at Jude Bellingham. Someone has viewed him in the championship and decided to spend, ten, you know, twenty-five million pounds to bring him to Dor- Borussia Dortmund, and I think that's a good decision that will pay off for Borussia Dortmund in the sense that they will sell him for a ton more money. But if you are still sitting at West Ham or Aston Villa or wherever it is at twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five years old. There is a fucking reason for it because other managers have or have made the assessment of he's good, but is he that good? 
And fundamentally, if you want to win European championships and if you want to win World Cups, you need that good. You don't need good. And uh, and I mean this with the because I think Jack Grealish should be more involved. So someone at a smaller club, Jack Grealish should be on the pitch all the time starting. Mason Mount can go and fucking die in a grave for all I'm cared. Like... <laughs> Like there's a player who who has who has ridden the wave of Chelsea winning the Champions League and is trying to make it into every England selection in the future without doing all that much. There's a reason why, again, to throw it in, Timo Werner isn't finding his way into the German national league national team. Okay, Mason Mount. Chelsea. This is a bash at Chelsea. Okay. No, but no, it's not a bash no, at no, Chelsea. I'm but fine like, with that. Oh well, no well done. You went scenario. well done. You went on a good cup run, but. Fuck it, you know. Like, I mean, what, are, what what's Mason Mount done for England? I've I've seen nothing from him to make me think. Well, he took a good corner today. Well done. So Literally far. in in ninety minutes on the pitch today, what has he done? I haven't seen he, anything from Foden either. Like, there's a lot of England players that haven't fired right now. Then, I mean, Mason Mount has done literally nothing. Literally nothing. Whereas, honestly, Jack Grealish today. I mean this genuinely, and I'm not the Jack Grealish's better, biggest fan. At least Jack Grealish shows the intent of getting the ball, turning, and attacking a defense. Yes. And when he came on today, he at least, he didn't create much, but he did a little bit. Like every time he gets the ball, you think maybe something will happen. Mason Mount, when he gets the ball, is like, oh, what's he going to do? Pass, pass the right back? Completion pass rate through the fucking roof. Well done, Mason Mount. Oh, ninety-eight percent. What am I gonna do? Like go and come all over my own tits over your pass completion rate? <laughs> like, no. But seriously, what a fucking performance. Oh, Mason Mount. Oh, ninety-seven oh, percent pass completion rate. What a fucking loser. There's go fade. People. Go go There's fade the side of people. I can't wait to hear from about this yeah. scenario. No, no, no. I, I'm so happy. I'm so happy this is happening. Because truth be told, the performance deserves the abuse. <laughs> Everything Eddie is leathering into right now deserves it. Because there was no person on the pitch tonight that did anything that shredded like kind of quality or perception going forward. Can we also talk? Uh, just let me l- continue to rip through the various players. Luke Shaw. I don't need to watch another player r- go down the sidelines and think he's surprisingly quick for a fat boy. Like, honestly, every <laughs> Wait, time I see that? <laughs> every time I see Luke Shaw, I think, wow, that could potentially be me if I put six months of effort in. <laughs> How about Reese James? Reese James? He was fine. Honestly, I, I won't. I won't rip into Reese. Wait, are you just trying to? Are you doing this on people you could beat up? No, but Luke Shaw. <laughs> honestly, Luke Shaw. I mean, like he's got a bigger ass than me. Like honestly, like Luke Shaw. Uh, there's a reason why Jose Mourinho refuses <laughs> like, to put him into it. Like into a stand up comedy. It's not like he's doing like a skit. No, I'm Luke Shaw. I'm, Luke Shaw. Let me tell you about Luke. Yeah, Shaw. he's got a fucking massive ass. That's what I fucking tell you. No, no. Just I'll tell you what. Next time you watch Luke Shaw play football, see how many people go. He's surprisingly quick. When someone says, when someone watches a professional athlete and goes, he's surprisingly quick. That means he looks out of shape. But he's not as out of shape as I thought he was. Oh, who else can you do? Who else can you do next? In this current England team? I mean, Tyra, I mean, Mings. Like, Mings' contribution to this match was leaping high at one point. 
that was his, oh, wow, he managed to intercept a pass by being a little bit taller than someone else. That was all he did today. But but oh look, I, I don't even want to talk about Saturday at Ascot. Okay, who else? <laughs> no, I mean, we, look, it wasn't. We've, we've, we've left out Carl Walker. So well, he didn't play. No, that's what I mean. We left him out. As in, like, he's trying to think of, he's, yeah, he's the lucky one in this scenario. I'm not gonna rip I'm not gonna rip into I'm not gonna rip into players who either didn't play or didn't make didn't get onto the pitch for significant periods of time. Like I'm not gonna rip into Rashford. I, like, I didn't see Rashford do anything, but Rashford was barely on the pitch. And look, that's another criticism of Southgate. You're sixty min at sixty minutes into the match, make three subs. Fuck it. Make three five. Subs. Make five. make three Fuck subs that. change the match. I agree. What are you I doing? I agree with that. The match yes. was in. You, you were good for the opening twenty minutes, and then it kind of hit this period where it's like, well, nothing's really happening. Make subs. Bring on players. Try and change the match. Bring on Bellingham. Try and change it in central midfield. Bring on Grealish. Try and change it so that someone turns towards goal and does things. Bring on Sancho and try and change things out wide. Bring on Rashford or Greenwood or someone and try and change things. The fact that you just bring on Grealish for one of your wide players, which makes little to no sense, and you take off Kane, fine, admiral the decision, but to bring on Rashford, now it's like you've almost made yourself less attacking through your substitutions in a nil-nil match. Like, honestly, like I mean. So you're kind of happy with the draw? This is kind of the conclusion <laughs> yeah. I'm pulling here. I, I mean, I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what, in terms of picking... We did pretty well at Ascot today, right? Well, look, we'll get on to that in a second. All I'll say is... <laughs> he's not done with this stand-up he's not routine. Done. I love that he's not done. What's the deal with he... the England team? <laughs> <laughs> we have one listener who will appreciate this. One sole listener. And I know we gained some listeners from our football manager interview with Zealand. Based on my football manager experience, would I be a better manager for England or would Gareth Southgate be a better, better manager for England? I think I would be. Honestly, at this point, do I think I would be have more chance of winning this Euros or do I think Gareth Southgate has more chance of winning this Euros as England manager? I genuinely, um, this is not hyper, hyperbole. This is not reaction, overreaction to them drawing with Scotland. I genuinely 100% mean this. I mean, you've already said adventurous you've said some great words like i i really feel like they they haven't been said before with this england team do you know what when like when you hear thierry Henry once spoke about pep guardiola managing them at barcelona and the thing he said the thing that was brilliant about pep guardiola about at barcelona was he defensively instills a system so what he does is he puts in place Everyone has a defensive responsibility, everyone on the pitch. And every single one of those players has to do their duty in terms of who you pick up, where you get back to, who you mark. However, Pep Guardiola very clearly says, my job as a manager is to manage you for two-thirds of the pitch. And then for the final third of the pitch, that is your job to be good footballers. And what I fear with Gareth Southgate is he is doing the exact opposite. He is managing them for the final two thirds of the pitch. And for the initial third of the pitch, it's like, ah, let's hope that uh, Luke Shaw can get back and pick someone up. Let's hope Tyrone Mings can be tall that enough. Fat ass. Yeah. And that to me, and you hear someone like, 
Thierry Henry be so complimentary of Pep Guardiola in that respect, which he said was literally what was brilliant about Pep Guardiola is he was so strict for two thirds of the pitch. Do not be out of position. Do not even think about it. And he drills it into his players. And if you are here, you are here. You don't even consider if you want to swap sides. If you think you're in a, te- if you think you're a wide player who can go over the other side, you cannot do that in the initial two thirds of the pitch. However, yeah, you can do it in the final two thirds because if I'm managing Lionel Messi, if I'm managing whoever, I want to encourage them to do the thing that makes them great. But the thing that makes them great is the final third. And when you look at this England team, what's happening in the final third? Absolutely nothing. And is anyone, when you look at Raheem Sterling, what's he doing in the final third? Nothing. All these players who are creating stuff in the final third for their club teams are doing nothing. I mean, uh, look, Harry Kane should thank Gareth Southgate because the only thing that uh, Gareth Southgate might be ensuring is that Harry Kane will just secure his status as Overall, not that great. So, I, I mean, I guess the big question now is, do you think it's too late to petition to have you be the manager and get Southgate out? Um, for this tournament, probably, but hopefully some people higher up in the England, you know, set up in the FA, listen to the podcast, and they realize that I at least have a somewhat decent understandings of the basic rules and footballs and tacti- of, of football and tactics. And maybe they You've put got the in... word adventurous in the back pocket. Oh, I'll tell them to be adventurous. That. I'll tell them to look, I'll do all the basic things. Hey, get the ball out of feet quickly. One touch, two touch, maximum three touch. Just be adventurous. Get the ball wide. Move the ball. Move the fucking ball. <laughs> Where is, where's is that, this? Do you, do you Who's whisper this to your guy? Who's is that this a tactic? Guy? He whispers. That's another tactic that Southgate doesn't have. <laughs> I was lying. I mean, just literally. Tell them to move the fucking ball. Literally, I'd find them. Oh, you get the ball out wide? And like, uh, literally, I would find every time I watch uh, Raheem Sterling get the ball out wide and pass the ball back to Luke Shaw or Reese James, 100,000 pounds. Fuck off. I don't need to watch you pass Luke the ball Shaw back. Luke Shaw does not weigh 100,000 pounds. I do not need to watch you pass the ball backwards. I can get a five-a-side team to come in place, play out wide, and play the ball backwards. I don't need to watch it. I, You are playing for England because you are supposed to be able to get the ball and move the ball. Go and do the things that you do. And it's the same. You hear Kyle Walker, for example, talk about the like Kyle Walker talks about the way that Pep Guardiola has influenced his career, and in the fact that Pep Guardiola, one of the things he talks like Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola has instilled in the City team the idea that you make quick passes, short passes, but it's all about trying to move the other team out of position constantly. So if you're always making passes, quick, 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 quick passes. So like there's nothing against moving the ball sideways defensively. There's nothing against moving the ball backwards necessarily, but there has to be a purpose to it. So the idea is you move it quickly because if you move it quickly, someone is chasing you down. Someone is closing you down. And as a result, if you have the confidence in your ability to move it, which the England team with the talent they have in the side should know that basically what you're saying is if we play 7, 10, 15 passes, 
at the 16th pass, someone in this side should be able to pick an open pass that creates an opportunity, which that's the basis the city team works on. So the city team knows we can play sideways, 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 backwards, 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 backwards. Bang, Mares is in. Bang, Sterling is in. And this also, England team is like sideways, 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 backwards, 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 goal kick. Well done. Bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like, literally, who needs to watch it? Like, we could, we could do it ourselves. I could honestly manage this team with my eyes closed and get them to be just as good. And I mean this. I do not mean that as an exaggeration. Which do I feel more confident about? Me out bowling Paul Collingwood or me out managing Gareth Southgate? It's I'd be more confident that Paul Collingwood could out manage Gareth Southgate. You're still not admitting the Collingwood thing. You're no. rather turning it against someone. No, oh, I mean I just like I think I could I think I could out bowl Paul Collingwood while out managing Gareth Southgate simultaneously. And it wouldn't be it wouldn't be increasing the difficulty of out bowling Paul Collingwood. You you are so above your station. No, I'm not. I'm just watching an England team you, be Are you a more adventurous bowler or are you a more adventurous manager? Oh, I I mean me. I'm a left arm over the wicket, swinging in, occasionally swinging out. I'm super adventurous. I'm going to tempt you into a drive, and every once in a while, one's going to nip in, bowl you LBW. And that's the way I'd manage this England team. He's, he's got the slow left arm Chinaman on the go. Slow. He's, he, oh, yeah, slow. slow left arm. Whoa. Yeah. I'm James Anderson it's, pace. Slow isn't what you're doing a fast left arm Chinaman. Look, I mean, at my peak, at my peak, I was, I was 82, 83 miles an hour. So am I fast? No. I'm James Anderson. Left arm over. Natural swing bowler. That's what I Constant am. Constant for 20 years. If I'd, if I'd been paid to do it for 20 years, probably would have got quicker. Hey, Sam, how about our tips? All right, let's move on. For Royal Ascot. Look, uh, England were disappointing today, but you know what wasn't disappointing today? Our tips for Royal Ascot, because we actually actually tipped <laughs> we tipped quite a lot of winners. We did, we, Sam, congratulations. Your nap won. Second race of the day. That was so... <laughs> I have never heard something so bitter. Like, Sam, fucking good job. You Sam, Sam, jump off a fucking bridge. Your nap won. No, congratulations. Your nap won. Alan Kerr won. I think when you probably gave it as a nap, it was around six to four. Let's say when listeners had it, it was probably two to one. If we're, if we're being fair, still a two to one nap is pretty good. It won convincingly. Uh, Frank, congratulations. Even better call, alcohol-free one as your bet of the day. It won SP of 11 to 2. If listeners had had this early on, probably would have had it 7 to 8 to 1. So again, for a nap, great. great. My nap, Soesa, at when I tipped it 4 to 1, went off around 5 to 2. I don't know. It's probably still running. I, I don't know. What to, don't, <laughs> I was just going to say, I think it just finished. <laughs> I don't know where it is. I don't know. Probably been... I've got some gl- I've got some stuff to fix in my apartment that's probably going to be the glue that helps me to do it. But uh... oh no, he's done it. He's gone to that forbidden zone. <laughs> but I will say, still, whilst I didn't have that winner, I tipped create belief in uh, the Sandringham who won 
I think it's SP was six to one after all of the rain and the complications came in. That being said, when I tipped it, it was probably, I think it was around 12, 14s to one. So still overall for us to have tipped three winners out of six, all of whom. Sam tipped, Sam tipped uh, Dragon dragon symbol. So if you were in the UK, you would have had first past the post win. Yeah, yeah. We we tipped some other each way bets or some other winners, but fundamentally as our like our tips for the race, um, still even just taking it at three out of six races, you would have been very profitable if you had just bet our tips. Very. For I, yesterday. I tipped Zabil champion each way as well. Of yes, 14s. which finished Same third. Thing. I mean, admittedly, it went off at seventeen to two. I mean the yeah. the fact that it also, race, the fact they were racing on a swamp and. And there was a ton of withdrawals, kind of made a mess of everything. Wow. She do at twenty eight to one each way. I tipped as well. Yes, it's pretty we, good. We have hit. We have hit Friday. It was a good day. Well, no, no, legitimately today we did exceptionally well. Anyone listening who is questioning whether or not they should listen to us, honestly, if you just bet all of our <laughs> selections, you would have made a lot of money. You know, an absolute ton of money. Hopefully someone did it because we didn't, but hopefully someone did it. But anyway, we can move. The fact is they probably all lumped it onto England to win. So, Well, yeah, yeah. that's, I mean, that's the downside. Because want... that's what I did. Yeah, there's nothing more I love than taking like a 14 to one shot and then lumping a three to 10 at the end of it. <laughs> like... Oh, yeah, which, which, no, look, we've all been there. But look, if you'd had me as manager, it would have been fine. We can move on to... The fifth and final day of Ascot. And we start things off with the Chesham Stakes, in which Point Lonsdale is the six to four favorite. Masakela, four to one. New Science, nine to two. Reach for the Moon, 11 to two. Popular, probably, with our Reddit listeners. I know we got a lot of, a lot of listeners out there who are always shooting for the moon. Reach for the moon, not too far off. Sweeping, 11 to 1. Great Max, 12 to 1. And all the rest are 28 to 1 or bigger. So it, it's one of those weird markets that gets exponentially bigger quite quickly. There's a lot of reasons to like Point Lonsdale. It was very, very impress- impressive on debut. Are we going for the favorite or are we looking elsewhere? It's... Um... I mean, it's worth saying that Ascot had heavy ground today. It survived an inspection. It's meant to be raining tonight. My fundamental feeling is there'll probably be another inspection if it's any sort of rain. But factoring all that into consideration, the Chesham's a tough one. But with these kind of like juveniles that we're looking at, you look at kind of the cost, the connections, the breeding. And a lot of things really do point to that point. Lonsdale, as you mentioned, like 575,000 guineas is really not to be shunned at. It's a full brother to Broom as well, which is interesting. Uh, So Broom is the favorite coming up in another race that we'll talk about in a second. So it's got some good pedigree going on there. Um, Aside from Australia, which is a really good horse in the O'Brien yard and the Coolmore yards. Um, kind of last time out only time out it won on soft ground as well at the Curra. Curra's always 
even if you say it's like a bad race at Akara, still fundamentally there's a high quality of racing at places like that. Like you would say Newmarket usually has good racing just as Akara does in um, Ireland as well. So I think in terms of like juveniles for this race, when I look at the kind of like the, the cost connections and the breeding, I think this one has the most going for it. So I'm going with the favorite. I'll agree with you just to keep things simple. Only on the, from the standpoint, I think it is the most likely winner in the six to four. I'm willing to take that. I will say uh, Masakela at four to one tempts me from an each way perspective because, you know, you're looking at two horses that won first time out. And I think I could convince myself either with Masakela or New Science that you're basically getting not far off the same price just on them to place that you're getting on uh, Point Lonsdale to win. And so... That that does, temp- but I think Point Lonsdale is the most likely winner. Yeah, I kind of actually agree with Eddie on this one completely. I mean, and Ed, I'm going to say Eddie in the sense that while I think Point Lonsdale, wait, what did I say? <laughs> while I think it's the favorite, my issue with this is that there's a lot of other really good, also unexposed horses at better odds with Masakela, who uh, Oshi Murphy's very high on. He said this is one of his best horses of the week before Royal Ascot and he's had a good week already um, and new science who is also an extremely expensive yearling and beat reach for the moon on soft ground on its opener. So you do have two really good horses behind that. Like Eddie's saying at an each way price would be the same as point Lonsdale. So I do think Lonsdale will point Lonsdale will be the winner. Um, I'm just not sure how heavy I would back it with horses that I think could play in the mix for the for the final at, at a good each way price well i guess that rounds up maybe not nap of the day but at least uh hopefully a good way to start the day off things might get a little bit more complicated in the jersey stakes over seven furlongs in which creative force is the five to one favorite you then have khartoum at 13 to two uh mustabek at 13 to two naval crown at nine to one um fast raj at 11 to 1 fundamental 11 to 1 light frame 11 to 1 storm damage at 12 to 1 and all the rest well tactical 12 to 1 and all the rest are 16 to 1 or bigger difficult race i mean uh, just conditions are so tough at this stand at this point that you know like you can throw almost all the form that you're trying to read out because they're they're fundamentally running in a swamp I mean, when you look at the conditions that they had today and then you project there's only been more rain and there will have been more rain tomorrow and the rain is not going to stop. Conditions are not going to get better. And I mean, you, for that reason, I am tempted by Mustabek, who had its debut run in heavy conditions and ran well and has subsequently done okay. And at 13 to two, I think from an each way perspective, it tempts me. So I am going with the queen's horse in light refrain. So I always like to see a queen's horse win Royal Ascot. I think that's super neat. Uh, The first time we saw an estimate one, I thought that was really cool. Light refrain has four months off ground, which Pre-podcast, I told Sam I'm going to be ignoring four months off ground and just pick what I think is the best horse. But I still think this is the best horse and has four months off ground. It's out of Frankel. 
it was fourth in its last race. But when you look at the form now, it was less than a length away from Dragon Symbol and Rohan in a five furlong or six furlong sprint. And we saw what Dragon Symbol did today, which was a pretty impressive run. On that form alone, I think it's definitely got a chance. Um, stepping up a little bit in trip, which I don't think will be an issue because, again, it's out of Frankel. So we it should get seven furlongs, probably better than it gets six. And at 12 to one, I think that's a great each way bet. So I'm going to go with light refrain. I really like creative force in this race, actually. So even at kind of five to one, I saw it at 11 to two a few hours ago. So I guess it's come in half a point. But but I think there's a really good horse here at the price that it is. Because when you, okay, the bad, like I said, the bad first, it flopped in the Coventry last year, which is a, a pretty good two-year-old race um at the royal meet and it it really didn't kind of perform to its standards but as a three-year-old kind of aged up it's what all the races it's entered into um the kind of one question about it would be the kind of company it ran but it ran at soft ground at newbury which obviously helps it in this kind of conditions that it's looking at at the moment uh charlie appleby actually came out and said like look we've been running this at six furlongs but fundamentally this is a seven furlong bred horse like this is this is exactly the kind of race that we target this horse at. So it gives me a load of confidence that um, they've got the perfect race for it. They've got a three-year-old that's in really good form at the moment. It's unbeaten this year as a three-year-old as well. So for me, I find it kind of strange that this is five to one, 11 to two. So for me, I really, really like the odds on creative force at the moment. Fair enough. Well, on that note, we can turn our attention to the Hardwick Stakes, in which we've already, Sam, you mentioned Broom. Broom is the four-to-one favorite, wonderful tonight. Well, joint favorite, I suppose. Wonderful night, also four-to-one. Uh, Alba Flora is five-to-one. Ilarab is 11-to-two. Hukum is six-to-one. Logician is eight-to-one. Japan, 14-to-one. Sir Ron Priestley, 14 to 1. All the rest are 21 or bigger. Interesting race because Broom, obviously, joint tops the market. Incredibly inconsistent horse. I mean, if you're trying to look for can it can it handle the ground, it's about the face. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. There's fundamentally no way to know. And the fact that it's an O'Brien-Moore combination probably doesn't help you because, look, there's every possibility that Broom storms clear in this. There's also every possibility that Broom finishes dead last in this. For that reason, the form, the four to one does not tempt me at all. And I'm actually more tempted by Logician at eight to one, who I think a horse that has burned me on multiple occasions. Yes. But at eight to one, from an each way perspective, I think it has as much class in this race as any other horse. And I would rather take a chance that it produces that class tomorrow at eight to one than that Broom produces that class at four to one. So that is why Logician is my selection. It's 
you raise an interesting point about kind of the consistency or inconsistency about running against each other as well. Like Saron Priestley is 14 to one yet beat pile driver who then ran a really good race like a, a few weeks ago. And it's, it's kind of an extremely strange race where you see long prices that have beaten really, really good horses and short prices that are being inconsistent against long shot horses. It's, it's, it's a really strange one for me. Um, like I mentioned with broom, like, it's a full brother to Point Lonsdale, which is kind of why I'm interested in Point Lonsdale. But should I be kind of showing some like brotherly love, I guess, to it? If this was before the rain, yes. But I think that Broom does its better work on firmer ground. Um, I think that was shown by the fact that it lost to odds on on heavy ground last time out, which is kind of interesting. So kind of factoring all that into consideration, I actually like... Um, Ilarab or Ilarab, I can't. I'm going to try the pronunciation. Ilarab. Say it however you want. Ilarab. Let's go with Ilarab. As long right. as people I'm know which one you're referring to, who cares? Yes, it's <laughs> so it's unbeaten in six starts. It's a really progressive colt, I think, as well. Um, it's one on any ground that is thrown in front of it, whether it be good, whether it be soft. The soft doesn't matter for me, so therefore the ground's not a problem for me. Um, it's always good to see as well when the horse progresses through handicaps and the fields get bigger as well. So I think it went from like a six runner to like a 12 runner to then a 15 runner. And it's still kind of gone through the field and won those races. So it was always nice to see in a handicap, a horse take bigger fields. Well, which I think this horse has done. Um, what's interesting about it as well is actually when you look at like it's racing post rating and it's official rating, it's running off 116 and an official of 102 at the moment. So as far as I'm concerned, the way it's progressing at the moment, you've you've got that classic commentator point of a group horse in a handicap at the moment. And I feel like Iharab is that. And to be looking at it and maybe like third, fourth favorite, I think is um, there's some good value to be had there. So Yeah, so this is my nap of the day. Uh-oh. And Sam talks about group horses in in a race like this and I think the group horse in this race is Hook'em. So Hook'em was very highly rated, got dumped into the St. Ledger, which I think was a little too far for it. It still did respectable, got fifth in the St. Ledger, was about four lengths off the winner, which I think was Galileo Chrome. Um, Came back this year, lost on reappearance, uh, but then came back with a really nice win about three weeks ago. It has very good form on soft. It has a course and distance win in the handicap last year. Might've been the Sandrine handicap. Um, I cannot remember now what handicap it was, but anyway, uh, has won at Royal Ascot with the same distance. And so this is a horse I think that is destined for big things. And I think it's very, very nicely sitting in there at 11 to two. Uh, right now about five to one, eleven to two. So I think that's a great bet. And this is my nap is Hook'em. All right. Well, one nap it one nap in, and then we can turn our attentions to the Diamond Jubilee stakes over six furlongs, in which Jubilee uh Dream of Dreams is an ever shortening favorite at nine to four. Probably will be shorter by the time you're listening to this. Nahar is seven to two. Art Power eleven to two. 
Glenn Scheel, six to one. All the rest are t- 10 to one or bigger. Obviously, Dream of Dreams has run a good race in this race before. Are the two of you expecting it to go sort of one better than as previously, or is this too short a price for the favorite? This this is a really interesting race, and I think it has the same kind of like soap opera style as when we talked about the King Stand with like the Heron Stakes, and there was two separate races that we looked at form against to see what was the best. And this has a very similar one. So you had like Dreamer Dreams, Our Power, uh, and Glen Shield who won uh, the race at the Champion Sprint, and great thing about that Glen Shield form was it was a course and distance at Ascot and it was B soft ground so that really helps it in that way but then you had Starman which I believe is now a non-runner um and Nahar um they had a real form boost recently because they ran the best of Oxted who actually won the king stand against Batash uh, a few days ago so it's I'm not a huge fan of these kind of sprint races, but you've got like a nice story, a nice narrative that plays this to actually being a pretty good race. But all, all those things considered, looking at those two races, looking at the form of Oxted against them, uh, I think that Glen Shield is the, the kind of value bet here. Um, like I said, the champion sprint, it, um, it, was of course this distance winner over soft ground so the fact that it may be even softer or will stay roughly similar shouldn't be an, uh, a problem at all um when you look at like nahia so starman being a non-runner when you look at nahia uh, untested on this ground so i'm very kind of reluctant to use that kind of form of anything uh glenn shields being a few horses um and i think that the last run out kind of brushed a few cobwebs and I think that they should be much closer to that kind of champion sprint form that they see. So for me, Glenn Shield is the form. Yeah, I'll, I'll make this quick. I'm, I'm agreeing with Sam. Uh, I'm not super, I'm not super confident in the selection, but again, we've kind of discussed this through the past few days. It's really hard to be super confident in a, in a sprint, especially in a group one sprint dream of dreams. I get, I get why it's favorite. You know, it's it's been runner up here. It likes the soft ground, but it's too short for this t- type of sprint race. Uh, and I think Glenn Shield is the value pick here, especially with the course and distance win at uh, Champions Day. So I'll stick with Sam. I'll make it a clean sweep then, because Glenn Shield was also my selection. So with that, we can move on to the Wokingham Stakes. Uh, over six furlongs, in which Kings Lynn is currently the ninth two favorite. Rohan is five to one. Pendleton is eight to one. Fresh eight to one. Desert Safari is nine to one. Uh, Punchbowl Flyer is eleven to one, and all the rest are fourteen to one or bigger. I guess if you're a big um, Peaky Blinders fan, you might be tempted by Abraham uh, Abarama Gold at fourteen to one. I think that's a Peaky Blinders reference, if I'm not wrong. Um, sure. <laughs> pretty, pretty, I'm pretty sure it is. I might be, I might be wrong there, but I think if look, I think you're right. I, 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 you know, like yesterday, I mentioned Raymond Tusk would have tempted people at twenty-five to one if you're a big House of Cards fan. Finished second. So if you're just going on TV references, then I think, 
I think you would be tempted to go the Abirama Gold method, in which case you've got a 14 to 1, perhaps each way chance, and you might make, if it, if it does the Raymond Tusk cha- run, then look, just, just bet on the shows you like. Yeah. Eddie, but Eddie, if you're a big Marvel fan, you bet for the Marvel villain in Rohan. I don't get the reference. Sam should. <laughs> I do get it with the Cree and stuff like that. I do understand. Yes. And if you just like cycling, you'll bet on Pendleton. So, so yes, that's true as well. <laughs> so I guess if we're going to go kind of past that, I, I'll i go first. So um, I like Punchball Flyer in this race, actually. Um, it, it kind of progressed really well during the 2021 campaign. Um, the last time out, it ran really well in good company at Haydock. Uh, soft is fine, so it's, it's always going to be a caveat right now that if it gets softer, I don't think this is a problem for the horse. But if it stays the same as right now, I still don't think it's a problem for this horse either. Um, it, it's also, like I said, it's also one over heavy ground, so there's really no problem there. Um, it has run Ascot before, but it ran Ascot a good ground. And I think what was interesting about that race was the connections came out straight away and said like, okay, well, now we know it doesn't run well on good ground. Soft ground is where it needs to be. And therefore they're coming back to Ascot. They see the ground. And um, I think that those course credentials will really help it. So like, I think it was nine, 10, 11 to one. I can't remember what you mentioned, but I think there's a real good chance and a bit of value there. Yeah. For me, this is, this is a really tough one. So you have Hey Jonesy won it last year and it's only up one pound from that win. Um, so it's crazy to me that it's that far down in the betting uh, at 20 to one, which is a pretty good value at the time that was run off a of good ground. So obviously it is a little softer, but you can't discount a horse that won this last year and is basically running at the same weight. I'm going to go though with the marble reference and I'm going to go with Rohan. This horse has significantly been improving and has won, I believe what the last two and three out of the last four races. And again, a lot of those are on um, good to soft or even heavy ground. And going back again to a reference I made earlier, it has beaten dragon symbol who then run ran a really nice race today. So based off of that form line, I'm going to go with Rohan. Well, assuming that Rohan doesn't uh, barge all of the other horses out of its way in uh, Dragon Simple style, I am going to opt for Ropey Guest at 20 to 1, who I think is very much suited to the conditions in which we'll be racing. So at 20 to 1, I think it is a very good each-way bet. I actually think it has a genuine chance of winning this race. So 20 to 1, very tempting. And then we can move on to the Golden Gate Stakes. In which Eddie, King I have a Frank... question for you before we move on. Yeah, go for it. Why? Where do you think the name Ropey Guest comes from? <sighs> don't know. Probably if you invited Sam bondage, to a party yeah, or something. Yeah, it's a bondage thing. <laughs> is that what you think it is? You think it's like a cheeky bondage reference? No, no, but Ropey, <laughs> someone being Ropey, right, is being unreliable or, you know, so I Ropey in that context Saying someone's a ropey guest would be, yeah, you can't count on them. Yeah, they have elements about them that aren't 
a little bit questionable. And I'm going with bondage. So. <laughs> I mean, Sam. I just wanted to hear Sam give his bondage opinion. <laughs> Sam, we know, <laughs> we know your lifestyle choices. We know you'd always go bondage. I love the calling them lifestyle choices. <laughs> I mean, well, we know they are deep down. Uh, the Big Chill Podcast believes everything in life is a choice. Golden Gate Stakes. <laughs> the Golden Gate Stakes. <laughs> in which King Frankel is a 100 to 30 favorite. Al, uh, Alphadel is 9 to 2. Uh, C set is nine to two. Fantastic Fox is eight to one. Visualization is ten to one. Fox's tail is also ten to one. Pythagoras is eleven to one. Baton Rouge eleven to one, and all the rest are sixteen to one and bigger. I will make things quite simple by saying that I think that, given the conditions, Mark Johnston horse, written by Frankie Dottori, is likely to make all of the running suit. The condition suited to the conditions at 130 sounds really honestly quite great. So King Frankel is my selection. So I'll follow you up on that. It's I hate that they name a horse King Frankel because you almost feel like an idiot to not take a horse named King Frankel. You know, like as soon as I saw that, I thought, oh man, what like how can I pass up a horse named King Frankel? So I'm not going to discount you on that. I think it, it would be one of my choices here. The other choice, I'm just going to go a little more further down the market. Um, and I think visualization is another interesting runner here at 10 to 1. Was at 14s, but it's being shortened. It does very well over the mud, partly probably because it's um, bred out of American horses in No Nay Never. It has gone up the weights, which is an issue, but it still has won three out of the last four and has never not hit the frame this year in five races. So I think even at an each way, 10 to one is pushing whether it's worth doing an each way bet, but I think you can be pretty confident that it, it should hit the the place there. But it's, I, I just think it's it's been improving every race. It still has improvement left in it and it goes on this ground. And Joseph O'Brien, I believe, does not have a winner for Royal Ascot this year. So he's going to be uh, wanting to get on the board in the last day. I I agree with you about the Frankel part, but I actually am going down to another horse that was sired by Frankel, and that is um, Fantastic Fox, so the Roger Varian horse. Um Look, it's a really difficult race. I think after the feature race at Ascot, every time it just like the next three actually become ridiculous with handicaps and uh, big fields. But what's interesting about this race is you've got a ton of three-year-olds and they've got some form. They've got a lot of runs. They've got no form. There's a lot of unknowns going on here. So considering the ground, considering the fact that we've already got heavy ground, it's already been cut up. We're probably going to have rain again, and we're looking at, what, four races before this one. I think there's going to be a lot more unknowns again. So I'm going to go for what is an unknown horse. Like I said, Fantastic Fox, right? It ran once as a two-year-old. It's run twice as a three-year-old. Um, but what's given it a really nice form boost is that Snow Lantern just ran really well in the Coronation Stakes. And um, that's a bit of a litmus test for this horse. It ran against it. It ran really well against it as well so i think there's good credentials there 
Um, it's tough to say that being side out of Frankel and you're looking at a mile two race that it isn't well equipped or well bred for this kind of race. It's built for this distance. So there's a slight unknown here, but I think the slow the snow lantern form has helped. I think being out of Frankel for this kind of distance has really helped as well. So it's a bit of an unknown, but you know what? Looking slightly down fourth, fifth in the field, I think 13 to 2 also is a good bet. Well, then let's wrap things up. We have the final race of the Royal Ascot Festival, the Queen Alexandra Stakes, in which Falcon 8 is the 3 to 1 favorite, Staghorn is 9 to 2, uh, Stratum is 9 to 2. Uh, Mirando is six to one. The Grand Vizier is seven to one. Barbados is nine to one, and all the rest are fourteen to one or bigger. Um, Falcon Eight was a very easy winner of the Chester Cup. However, I am very much a little bit by the logic that helped me today in in one of my selections. I am very much tempted by an Irish Raider coming over to run in testing conditions. And for that reasons, Stratum at nine to two is my selections. You know that it will handle the conditions, know that it will stay. And at nine to two, I think it is very much decent value. Yeah, I I mean, it's crazy, right? We're looking at heavy ground. We're looking at the fact that it's going to be cut up disgustingly badly by this point. And so what are we signing off with? We're signing with a two mile five run. I mean, this is going to be an absolute bog of a race. It's going to be pretty horrible for the horses, pretty horrible for the jockey. So sometimes there's not much you can go on in this race. So you mentioned the Chesser Cup and I feel like that is the the kind of zenith of form going into this race. I feel like with the Tory on board, Dermot World's obviously a really good um, jumps trainer as well, but I feel like that Cheshire Cup form was really good. The ground was kind of roughly with it as well. Um, yeah, it's really tough to find a horse in this one, but I'm just going to go for the one that's done the longest distance in the most kind of like quagmire bog of a style. It's, it's a really tough one, but yeah, I'll go Falcon 8 in this one. Come on, you guys are both missing there's no better way to finish royal ascot than with a classic ryan moore back of the field to first in the line to win you your final race at royal ascot and there is no type of horse and race he likes to do that more in than a long distance mullins horse they are five for 13 at Royal Ascot, which is still a pretty impressive number when you think about it. I mean, those are legitimately decent odds to take. And at five to one. Well, I mean, for context, right? Just for anyone listening who doesn't, none of those horses would have been odds on or even approaching odds on. So basically what you're saying is if you just bet on Mullins more yeah. combinations, you would be very, be very much in yeah. profit. Yeah. Yeah, oh no, you'd be significantly up. I would say the probably because the I'm going to guess the four to one, right? MC Moldier maybe let's say let's well Soldia let's be Soldier at the start of the week would have been one of them let's, as well. Like, let's be conservative and say two to one. Okay, if even if you were super conservative, you're still way way up. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's a Mullins horse, so it's a jumps horse, so ground is not going to be an issue here. 
The distance is a slight issue. It's never gone this far, but it did place at Ascot in two furlongs shorter. So I don't think it's going to be too much of an issue. Um, but this is definitely a horse that they have primed. Mullins is always priming horses for Royal Ascot. So you know it's going to be ready to go. And I just think Ryan Moore is going to be a little pissed off from that MC Muldoon debacle where he couldn't get to the line quick enough and he probably was on the best horse. So for that, I think he's going to round off Royal Ascot for me with a nice little win. Stratton. Well, there we go. That's the end of our Royal Ascot previews in which we've picked. I think overall we've been profitable. I'll say this even before the final day goes. Fundamentally, if you'd listen to us, you'd have a pretty good week. I'll also sign off before any final sign-off might happen by saying to the bunch of Scottish friends that I know who are currently texting me, most of whom probably don't listen to the podcast, they can go fuck themselves if they think, if their assessment of the match, (laughs) they think it's even remotely accurate. It is totally untrue. And to anyone texting me to try and tell me that England will win nothing, I very, very, my desire for anyone who tries to tell me that England supporters are overly optimistic the fact that they get so shat on after a nil nil group stage draw and they people need to understand why supporters desperately then hope that they win that the negativity that they face from else from sort of the outside world is part of the reason why positivity has to come back and so i will just say scotland supporters Go fuck yourselves. Enjoy the fact that every once in a while you might finish second in the Six Nations. What an achievement. The fact that you might finish third in a group in the Euros. Pat yourselves on the back. It's really so fantastic from a country that literally has nothing to go for it apart from diminishing oil reserves. And I really hope that you have a great remainder of your alcoholic lives. I think this might be the hundred and first episode, but that may be one of my favorite. Oh, I thought you were going to say this could be the hundred and first and our last episode. No, it's just, I, I couldn't agree more with the sentimentality around the scenario. Amen. Absolutely with you, Eddie. We, we reached triple digits and now we'll never hear from us again. (laughs) No, I mean, in fairness, look, there's, we're what, 120 minutes into recording, which means by the time of editing, we're probably about 110 minutes into the episode, which means there's absolutely no way that a Scottish person would have maintained attention for anything over than an hour. And by this point, they'll probably, their blood alcohol level will probably be near to death. So I think uh, we can rest assured that no Scotland fans are currently listening to what I'm saying. So again, I'll reiterate, go fuck your... The oh, can we also talk? Let's do, let's just talk the anthem for <laughs> let's just talk the anthems for a second. I don't want to hear. Look, God save the queen. It's not a great anthem. It's a mediocre anthem. Honestly, it it ranks. If I if I started to rank anthems, it's it's right. It's right. It's the on the lit, like the pH levels. I can't even remember the numbers. Frank, you'll give me a seven. It's seven. It's, is seven is seven neutral? Seven is like water. Yeah. Okay, so. God save the Queen seven. Flower of Scotland is an absolute fucking dirge. I'm like it, it I'm confused about your scale though. Are you saying like if something is worse, it's alcohol? Yeah, is it really acidic or is it very basic? It's acidic. 
Why, why don't we just use 0 to 10? No, no, it's acidic. It's acidic. So when like I listen two, to Flower of Scotland, like one or two. When, I, when, I listen, when I listen to Flower of Scotland, it burns my soul. It's just an absolute fucking... <laughs> oh, okay. It's, a, it's, nice. it's just an absolute dirge. I mean, just like, yeah, okay, pride yourselves on the, the bagpipes, but it's just awful. It do, it's not there. And again, I'll, I'll say this. If I rank the home nations national anthems, and not in, I'll extend the home nations slightly, but the Welsh national anthem is above for me. The God Save the Queen, great national anthem. Ooh. The Irish national anthem that they use for rugby, which is not the official national anthem, right? But the shoulder to sh- shoulder to shoulder one, great national anthem as well. So I'm not trying to. It is not reliant on just pure patriotism. But the Scottish national anthem, I've literally shat out better songs than they sing before their sporting <laughs> events. I mean, what's a shame, though, is that the third verse of God Save the Queen is about crushing rebellious Scots. So it's a shame that we don't actually sing that. Don't have to. They're not worth it, Sam. <laughs> We've already crushed them. Why are you why singing gotta, again? Yeah, why right? you got to pour salt in the wounds? <laughs> I mean, you're literally... <laughs> yeah, why you got to bring up those problems? Literally, it's a country that is... De- its independence is dependent on a... Uh, on a... A nation. Depleting, a nation. depleting <laughs> oil reserves. Oh. <laughs> all no, right, they've got all some right, cord, all right, all right. They've got some cord around there. <laughs> all right, oh, yeah, let's right. end this. <laughs> no, Frank, you're, no, Frank, you're going to sit there and yeah. listen to us talk about And more to the point, there are groups on Reddit, there are... No, the BNP are going to love what we're saying now. So BNP listeners, <laughs> most of what we say does not appeal to you, but fuck Scotland and you can be on board. Download the next few episodes. We'll be continue to insult the Scots. They're awful. Yeah. All right, boys. All right, All right sign boys. I think, I think I'll talk to you later. <laughs> See ya. Cheerio.